If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hi, it's Blake Neely. You're listening to Randall Andrews on Soundtrack Alley. Hello. I am Randy Andrews, and today I am starting a promotion with this month for the Jack Kirby 100s. I'm promoting the podcast in line with Omaha Bound and Phil Hester. Today I've got Jerry McMullen with me as we talk about one of Jack Kirby's creations, Captain America. We'll talk the movie Captain America, the first Avenger. We'll talk the background, the cast, the comics, Jack Kirby's great art and an excellent soundtrack for Captain America. All today on Soundtrack Alley. I'm Randy Andrews, and today I've got Jerry McMullen from the Worst Comic Podcast Ever with me as we talk about Captain America, the first Avenger. This is Jack Kirby Month. I am teaming up with Omaha Bound this month with supporting Phil Hester. And so what is Omaha Bound, you may ask? Omaha Bound produces and showcases distinct art in comics, literature, and related fields. Omaha Bound is supporting Phil Hester's Jack Kirby-inspired fundraiser for the Hero Initiative. To learn more about it, you can even go to omahabound.com. And now that's an excellent segue to bring in my guest, Jerry McMullen. How are you this morning, Jerry? I'm doing great, Randy. Thank you very much for having me on again. This is my third time. Uh, I know I'm not quite up to the Tim Benson levels, but um, I'm getting close, and I hope you give... Uh, everyone a, a membership robe for five times like Saturday Night Live does. Well, I'm going to be doing that sometime this next year. I'll be I'll be getting t-shirts made, so right. so that'll be great. So, Jerry, you and uh, the other members of the worst comic podcast ever have worked with the Hero Initiative. Would you like yes. to explain uh, what the Hero Initiative does? Absolutely. The Hero Initiative is a federally recognized nonprofit that raises funds for comic book creators in times of financial need. A lot of the creators were paid by the page, by the story, uh, by the by the assignment, and they didn't receive royalties. They didn't receive um, 
bonuses. They didn't uh, get reprint rights. And they, they were working in an era without a 401k plan or a pension plan. So um, a lot of times these creators struggle to pay their bills at the end of the month too, just like so many other people. And that's why the HERO initiative was established to kind of create an emergency fund to help those creators out. Um, because uh, they've, they've got rules in place, you've got to be active in the industry for at least 10 years in order to qualify. The, <clears throat> the entire organization is run by comic book professionals and they oversee the disbursement of the funds. Uh, so they know who's been in the business and who hasn't um, and can help based upon the need. Um, you know, and that need can vary. It can be something as simple as making a $20 copay on a prescription once a month, or it could be getting an artist set back up with the studios so that they could return back to work. Uh, that's happened a couple of times where an artist has had a house fire and hero has gone in and get, give them a place to go back to work so they could start uh, supporting their family again. Hero Initiative has been around just under 20 years now, and to date they've given out a, over a million dollars in um, assistance to different creators. I mean, these could be writers, artists, inkers, letterers, editors, uh, publishers. I mean, anyone that's put time into the comic book industry is uh, eligible for it, and it's all run by the by comic book professionals. It's a really lean organization. There's only two paid. Uh, staff members, everything else is handled by volunteers such as myself around the country. Uh, if you go to the large comic cons around the country, a lot of times you'll see a Hero Initiative booth there. Uh, you may see donation buckets on tables around the, around the convention halls on creator tables, um, as well as they do different fundraising projects with original art. And one of the fundraisers that's been going on for about four or five years now is what Phil Hester's doing. Uh, in August, and we are uh, happy to be helping him out with that this year. That's just fantastic. Um, I really appreciate that uh, not only has Omaha Bound joined with Phil Hester on this one project, but he also has helped get a specialized book of Phil Hester's called The Wretch um, out, and it's not very expensive to get this omnibus. It's like $25 to actually get it. And then also uh, Omaha Bound has produced uh, Matt Kent's Mind Management uh, Bound uh, issues. And it's just a phenomenal, you know, really fantastic uh, thing. And I recently talked with Tim Benson and he's got several projects in the works. So it's pretty exciting. Yep. So since uh, we're talking about that and we've talked a little bit about Captain America, we're going to get into the movie now on Captain America, the first Avenger. So Jerry, what are your initial thoughts on Captain America, the first Avenger? All right. I got to be honest. This is my favorite of all the Marvel movies. And when uh, just to let the listeners in on a little behind the curtains here, uh, Randy approached this approached me a couple of weeks ago asking me to be on and to do one of these movies in the Kirby month and he listed off his four movies that he had in mind and this was not on the list and I I told him you know this needed to be on the list and that I would punch Nazis in the face for the opportunity to do this uh, recording this week so um, 
Captain America was one of Jack Kirby's first co-creations uh, back in 1940, uh, 41 with uh, writer Joe Simon. And in a lot of ways, he's, he's become, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, one of Marvel's most important characters. And this movie, this movie more than so many of the other Marvel movies is very true to the to the comic book origins. Uh, this really felt like a comic book come to life on the big screen. Um, yeah, you can make little quibbles here and there about things, but um, this to me is the perfect example of a comic book movie. Yeah, and I would have to agree because Joe Johnston is the director mm -hmm. and he also did The Rocketeer. Yes. One of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that movie and I love the score and everything about it. And this movie, Captain America, the first Avenger really brings you into that type of same feeling, that adventure, that fun. Um, so it, it, like I, you know, I would have to agree with you. This is one of my top, Marvel movies that mm -hmm. I really can enjoy. Um, so like some of the uh, background facts on some of the things, it was really funny. One of the f points I found was that Haley Atwell, uh, she surprisingly had touched Chris Evans' chest, uh, you know, when he was coming out of the, the cryo tube or whatever for the... Ray chamber. Yeah, yeah. And he emerged from the pod and upon turning into Captain America being very much improvised and the surprise look on her face was genuine. As she admitted in interviews, she was very taken by Chris's physique and nearly broke character and ruined that take uh, as a result of it. But Absolutely. I, it was perfect in the movie. It just, it fit. She was cast perfectly for that movie. Uh, you know, we're going to give her, you know, uh, a little leeway, but not that she needs any leeway. She's uh, uh, got ties to Kansas City. Her father's from the Kansas City area, and she's oh, cool. uh, lived many years here uh, growing up and still comes back to visit from time to time. So uh, she was perfectly cast as um, Peggy Carter, and it was so great to see her take that role and move it into a TV series and still have cameos in some of the other movies. Uh, just so well done by her. Yeah. And um, another really neat, neat thing about that is that, you know, she played the role really well. Um, there was a red dress that she had wore in the movie. And I guess it was used in, in another movie. I think it was it was designed uh, to have been used in uh, Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Yes, yes. Uh, I was trying to remember, but they never used that. Right. They never used it in that movie, so uh, she, she fit the role really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, another point I found, uh, most of the shots that were done uh, by a Los Angeles company, and it was called Lola, and that specialized in digital plastic surgery. And the te technique involved shrinking Chris Evans in all dimensions. Mm -hmm. So they shot each skinny Steve scene at least four times, once like a normal scene with Evans, 
and his fellow actors. And then once with Evans alone in front of a green screen, uh, so his element could be reduced digitally. And then again, with everyone in the scene, but with Ev Evans absent, so that the shrunken Steve could be reinserted into the scene. And then finally, with the double or body double mimicking Evans' actions in case the second technique was required. And when Evans had to interact with other characters, they had to either lower him or raise the other actors on apple boxes or elevated walkways to make skinny Steve seem shorter in comparison. And then also with close-ups, Evans' fellow actors had to look at their marks on his chin that represented where his eyes would be after the shrinking process. And so Evans had to look at the marks on tops of the actor's head to represent their eyes. And so it was a really unique way they had to digitally change like from before he became Captain America uh, to being just Steve Rogers. You know, I, I remember going to see uh, this movie opening night when it, when it debuted in 2011. And I think that was the aspect of the film that got so many people wondering, how did they do this? Is that really Chris Evans in, in the smaller role? And um, just knowing that the, the level of work that the cast and crew put in to make that so believable uh, just kind of shows their commitment to putting out a quality film. Mm -hmm. I have it in my notes somewhere where uh, the actual other actor, um, he did, there was another actor that, that was the, the body for mm -hmm. uh, Skinny Steve. And uh, I just can't find it in my notes, but um, it was really unique. You know, it just, it really made a point. And sure. um, one of the things I like about the movie is that uh, with it being set in the forties during world war II, uh, I found it interesting that the captain America comic um, bears like the, the, comic book shown in the movies it bears the actual captain america number one mm -hmm. released in 1941 so i found yes. that that really cool that was a nice little homage that they put in there to the original comic um and it again it just kind of solidifies the level of detail that they were putting into the production to get things as accurate as possible to line up with the comic book history. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it really fit well. And, um, and then even just with Chris Evans, that it's surprising that he actually declined the role three times before actually accepting the part. And it, it wasn't because it was because he feared that the effects of the sudden increase of fame would be, would uh, change things in his private life. Uh, and then Robert Downey Jr. had even convinced him to take the part and thus gain that freedom to sign on to any other role that he'd want afterwards. And so after he had the meeting with the director and the producers, he was convinced to actually take the role. And I, I found that really interesting because 
he had been in other Marvel stuff before. Well, but... he had he had already been in five comic book movies prior to Captain America. Yeah. He played the Human Torch in the two Fantastic Four movies of the early aughts. And I think that's where his biggest concern was was coming from, just because both of those were um critically panned. I mean people did not like those movies. They really weren't that great of movies. Uh, and those were movies done by 20th Century Fonts, not by Marvel Studios, Disney, mm-hmm. all of that. So, uh, But he was also in the Scott Pilgrim versus the World movie. He was in the movie The Losers. I think the fifth movie was uh, pushed. Plus, he did a voice in one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. So, Yeah, he was Casey I, Jones. Yeah, I think he knew what it was going to be like taking on another comic book role and to have the visibility of Captain America where he would be front and center, not just for one film, but knowing that you were committing to six or seven films, this wasn't going to be a one-time film. Um, And I, I can understand his hesitation uh, before making that change, but I'm glad that he did. I mean, he was, he he is the embodiment of, of Captain America. I mean, he looks like Steve Rogers from the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found it really interesting that Chris Evans even had made a point. Like, he, he was quoted as saying, even if it wasn't a comic book, I think the story of Steve Rogers is great. He's a great guy, even if it was just a script about anybody. Uh, Chris Evans had said, I would probably want to do it. It wasn't necessarily about the comic itself, and he's a great character to play, and he just happens to be a comic book character. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, um, and then another thing that I found, um, when Colonel Phillips, which is Tommy Lee Jones' character, uh, I know this is like going way almost to the end of the movie, but uh, him and Peggy and Captain America are chasing down the hydroplane um, mm-hmm. in Schmidt's car and Colonel Phillips uh, presses a red button with the letter K on it. Um, and the German word in it translates into English being danger, do not push, <laughs> uh, sending the car speeding faster down the runaway. And it's very ironic that Tommy Lee Jones played a similar character in men in black mm-hmm. to not have like will smith's character say don't don't press that button yeah. <laughs> in their car and so i found that just kind of funny and unique yeah um you know i think a lot of that probably comes from the director uh joe johnston who he i mean he he's got a, a hollywood pedigree that is astounding i mean he got to start working visual effects with star wars yeah the original Star Wars, and I believe he won an Academy Award with that. Mm-hmm. He did work on Raiders, and uh, he came up through through the Lucas chain, helped out with Willow, and even Howard the Duck. We'll give him a pass on that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you mentioned the Rocketeer and October Sky. Um, he's he gets he gets the that you've got to put the details into the movie to make it as authentic as possible. Yeah, exactly. And that's what made it like believable in a way. And it just was, was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. to have that in there. And, um, 
you know, so many things about like the Steve Rogers in the movie. Uh, like one of the points when Steve discovers the gunmetal circular shield in the development office for Har Howard Stark, he asks what it's made from. And then uh, we find out that it's vibranium and that it's this fictional element in the Marvel universe that comes from the country of Wakanda. And that's where the Black Panther is. And also I found when I was doing my research that Jack Kirby invented Black Panther. Yes. I thought that was just so much fun. And it's like, we don't get a Black Panther movie till next year. Mm -hmm. So we got to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Black <laughs> Panther was uh, introduced in the pages of the Fantastic Four um, as the leader of the African country of Wakanda. Um, he Black Panther is is viewed as the first African superhero, and then uh, about a year later, in the pages of Captain America, the Falcon made his debut, and the Falcon is considered the first African American superhero. Uh, and we've seen both the Falcon and Black Panther now make it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, yeah, and that's just, you know, really exciting to see that these characters that are finally getting recognition for uh, the Marvel movies that they need to be in. Mm -hmm. um, I found it really interesting also that Steve Rogers sketches some costumes, costume designs for Howard Stark and is caught doodling pictures of himself as a circus monkey, and it refers to the comic's depiction of Cap's alter ego as an artist uh, mm -hmm. since 1979. And yes. he worked on, uh, on the fictional Captain America comic book on Marvel Earth. I thought that was unique. Yes. Uh, you know, I... I when you're dealing with a comic book character that's been around for years, you know, sometimes the writers and artists want to try to explore more about the private life of the character just to try to add scope to, this, in, to the story. So uh, at that time, it was writer Roger Stern and artist John Byrne that were working on Captain America, and they made Steve up as a commercial artist, and he was doing, like, magazine and newspaper ads, and then he got this job at Marvel Comics penciling the Captain America book and I think there was one panel where the editor made the comment oh you're you're putting a lot of detail into this and Steve just kind of nodded his head and <laughs> that's pretty exciting though you know I mean getting that idea that uh he put his all into making the comic in the comic Mm -hmm. and then we're watching it on screen that he was even doodling, and that was just unique and a neat way to have the character brought to life. Yeah. And uh, I really like that. Um, another thing I thought about was that Haley Atwell's character as uh, Peggy Carter, um, Haley Atwell actually based her performance on Ginger Rogers, and that was really unique. Um, she said she can do everything Captain America can do, but backwards and in high heels. Yes. <laughs> that was just neat. And, uh, you know, there's these little, little Easter eggs that sit in Captain America, the first Avenger, that give us, like, preludes to other things. Um, well, one thing is, like, Black Panther. And then another thing is... Uh, 
there's wall art uh, hiding the Tesseract at the beginning of the film. And it shows the world tree and the same concept design that Thor shares with Jane Foster in Thor. Yes. And that was like much later after, um, after that, that point. Well, in the timeline, yes, but actually in the movie line movies, the Thor movie came out before. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it did. America. So. But still, it's neat yeah. to see those little, little bits of other parts of movies that, that really sit there. Like, uh, for instance, the whole Howard Stark demonstrating the, um, the reversion technology. And it's an obvious precursor to Tony Stark's repulsors. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, you know, it's a flashback in a way because we've already had the Iron Man movie and he's already come up with those. But then also those same things and that same technology was used in um, the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show uh, because they have Lola, the car, uh, Mm -hmm. that has that same technology. Um, So, you know, that's another neat little tidbit. Absolutely. So... Uh, also, oh, the comic version of Captain America's shield. Uh, it's most commonly said that it was a mixture of vibranium and adamantium. And I didn't realize that either, that um, the adamantium made the shield nearly invincible. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't really lead that into the movie because it was more focusing on, Oh, this is vibranium. Yeah. Well, that and adamantium is most, most associated with the character Wolverine Mm -hmm. Uh, claws and his bones are laced with the adamantium. Um, Wolverine is controlled by 20th century fonts. And so um, I think they, they downplayed the adamantium adamantium aspect um, just leaving that to thoughts to handle and they can focus on vibranium and that allows them to introduce Black Panther and Wakanda and everything else that comes with that. Yeah, exactly. Now, what did you think of Hugo Weaving's performance as the Red Skull? Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I wish we had actually had a little more of him in the movie. Um, my understanding was Hugo Weaving um, was not happy with the time it took to get the makeup in place for his scenes. And that's why he is resisted coming back. But I've seen stories of late where it sounds like he might be interested to, to reprise the role again. Uh, if, if the opportunity presented itself. And I, I honestly hope he does. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's too good of an actor and, you know, kind of, the ruling comics. I mean, we haven't seen his body, so we've got to assume that he's still alive, just like Captain America was still alive. So, yeah. uh, And the fact that he was touching the Tesseract, mm -hmm. which uh, in the Marvel cinematic universe is the, uh, the infinity stone that is dealing with transportation. Yes. And so he was transported somewhere (laughs) so that was kind of kind of unique and um i just found hugo weaving to be really believable even 
with having the mask of, you know, his own face. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was just, you know, a really stark reveal of, you know, when he actually takes that mask off and he's like, I'm embracing it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I thought it was really unique. You see it when he's battling Captain America in the catwalk area, you see that after one of the punches, you see the mask shift. And that's the first time you realize that maybe, maybe that's not his actual skin that we're seeing. So yeah. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, me too. Um, I just, I found that, you know, I mean, whether or not, of the facts that it took him so long to get into the makeup, but he pulled it off really well. Um, I found another point uh, in regard to Stan Lee, uh, his cameo, um, it's an exception in the tradition of him appearing in the films. Uh, in this case, Stan Lee had nothing to do with the initial creation of Captain America because that was Jack Kirby and his first story that what was it Jack Kirby and Joe Simon oh okay yeah and so his first story was Captain America foils the traitor's revenge and that was in Captain America comics number three and which he made the first appearance Captain America throwing his shield as a weapon and in addition he along with Jack Kirby were responsible for reviving the character in 1964 uh, in the Avengers number four, reestablishing him as a major character in that Marvel universe. Correct. Um, when Stan first started working for Marvel Comics, which back then was known as Timely Comics, uh, Stan's uncle was the publisher, Martin Goodman. Uh, and he was kind of a jack of all trades, kind of writing, uh, helping put the comics together, the whole works. And uh, he, he scripted both a story as well as he wrote a prose piece, which at that time comics had to include uh, prose pieces to be classified as a magazine to get discounted pricing for mailing. Um, and so he would occasionally write these prose pieces Captain America as a comic ran until the late 40s before it kind of just disappeared from the stands. And a lot of the superhero books fell out of favor in the in the late 40s, early 1950s. A lot of that uh, had to do with the, the McCarthy hearings and searching for communists wherever you could find it. A lot of it came from Seduction of the Innocent, where uh, Frederick Wortham tried to paint comics as uh, corrupting kids in America. And so many of the popular comic characters of the 40s just went away. Even characters like Captain Marvel Shazam pretty much faded away. Um, the only continuous comic book characters that stayed in publication during that era were some of the DC characters. Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Arrow. That's it. That's the list. Those are the characters that have stayed in publication since their uh, beginnings in the 1940s. 1961, Marvel started up what became known as the Marvel Universe with Fantastic Four number one, and that spread into other books. In 1963, they did uh, almost like a Captain America tryout in a Human Torch story. 
um, where Human Torch fought this guy that was wearing a Captain America costume and had some of the similar skills, but not all of the skills of Steve Rogers. And that was kind of viewed as a tryout. Hey, does anyone want to see a Captain America book again? Uh, and the, the fan reaction was very positive. And so that's when they decided to bring back Captain America. It was just a question of where to put them. And the Avengers kind of felt like the most appropriate place to introduce them. And uh, since then, Cap has been considered one of the mainstays of the Avengers, having, you know, he's one of the, the core characters in that book since 1964, even to this day. Yeah, and I noticed that too throughout several Marvel events and everything you see that uh, Captain America is like that central main character. And even with the movie that we get, um, Chris Evans, you know, really puts that role to uh, its full extent. You know, he's able to like even right after he becomes Captain America they find that there's a Hydra agent in that room and he takes off right at, right at that point, takes off and goes after the guy. And it's like, he proves that he wants to be that, that character, that, that fulfilling that role. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really unique. Um, So with, with the events that happen in the movie, how do you think that, uh, the agents of Hydra split from the Nazis of Germany? <laughs> well, and again, I'm, I'm old school, so I would have preferred him fighting Nazis in the movie. But I think a lot of that is done because movies are big business and the international box office is just as important as the U.S. box office. And if you're going to be opening that movie in Europe, you don't want to be offending a large world power like Germany. So it, they downplayed the, the Nazi aspect and kind of built it up as the Hydra branch, which Red Skull was the, like the director of the scientific research and all that. And um, it kind of, it presented a new target for Captain America and uh, the, allied forces to be directly going after. Um, and it, it was a safe move. I understand why they do it. Uh, but like I said at the top of the hour, you know, I want Captain America punching Nazis, not, not necessarily just Hydra agents. Yeah. And initially, I mean, I'm sure that at some point they were supposed to be, you know, a Nazi paramilitary organization with the swastikas on their uniforms but implementation of them becoming being Hydra agents, they developed a new symbol, which was the Hydra symbol. And it changed to where they were explicitly a different organization from the Nazis. And they had different goals um, aside from what uh, was the situation at that uh, time period. And another thing I liked was that Sebastian Stan, he actually was initiate, initially considered for the role of Captain America, but then he got the role of Bucky instead. And of course, you know, he's went on to do uh, his role as Bucky in 
the Winter Soldier and Civil War, and I'm sure we'll we'll see him again very soon with uh, Infinity War. Yes, um, you know the list of actors that were initially considered for the part of Captain America. I mean, it's an incredible list. Uh, I know uh, John Krasinski, who was on the office at that time, was up for it, and I really I was actually hoping he would get it. Um, that was one that I was pulling for. Um, um, Ackles, the guy from Supernatural, he was okay. up. he was up for it. I'm trying to bring up the list here of other people that were being considered. I mean, it's an incredible list, and um, I mean that. I think, I mean, Marvel is clearly part of the Disney Empire, and the Disney Empire knows the importance of making the right decisions whenever possible. And you know, when you're casting Captain America, you're casting the visual face of the franchise for the next eight, 10 years. And um, I think they really wanted Chris Evans from the very beginning. They, when they initially couldn't get him, they started looking at other people, but they were, they were fixated on Chris Evans all along. Nice. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool uh, that he was looked at way before um, consideration for the movie was actually made. Um, I found it really interesting that uh, the time periods that are actually uh, taken place in the movie is from March 1942 to May 1945, and then it skips ahead to 2012 because that's when Captain America reawakens. Mm -hmm. And then um, another really interesting point, I, I love these classic science fiction facts that it brings out that these were influences uh, to like certain comic book characters. Uh, one science fiction serial character is Buck Rogers, that he was the influence behind Captain America and that Captain America's real name being Steve Rogers is a lot like Buck Rogers. And because even Buck Rogers was frozen in suspended animation and revived decades later. And, uh, well, Buck Rogers, his was centuries. And uh, it just was really unique that that influence uh, decided the idea of Captain America. Yes, absolutely. Um, they... Again, credit to Joe Johnson. I mean, he had experience with the Rocketeer and uh, October Sky. I mean, he he understood telling a period piece and making authentic. But when they bring Captain America into the present, I thought that was just as well done. You know, putting him in Times Square with all the lights and noise and everything new. And I mean, he he became a fish out of water at that point, having gone 70 years into the future without having really aged a day. And, you know, everyone that he, he knew before is either dead or, or on their deathbed. And um, he's got to find a new place in the world. And he, at, at heart, he's still a soldier. He needs an assignment. Yeah. But that, what Nick Fury brings him, uh, to become part of the Avengers. But that's that was really good too, because uh, then he becomes that central character. And I thought it was really unique that, you know, 
with the whole uh, idea of the super soldier serum and uh, that not only was Captain America affected, but it was also um, the Red Skull that he got that serum too. And uh, then I thought it was interesting also with the Red Skull's deformed appearance, it explained that his body's rejection of the serum showed that he wasn't worthy and it drove him even madder. Mm -hmm. And um, that was what happened with the Incredible Hulk, or not the Incredible Hulk itself, but in the Incredible Hulk when Emil Blonsky uh, gets injected with the serum um, that's initially that super soldier serum mm -hmm. and he transforms into abomination. Yes. So and I don't know that it was clearly spelled out in the movie, but um, Dr. Erskine played by Stanley Tucci that oversees the experiments at the beginning of the movie with Steve Rogers. I mean, he originally was a German scientist and he was the one that originally helped conduct the, the tests and the, the trials on, uh, Red Skull and uh, escaped Germany shortly thereafter, realizing what he had done and needed to help balance the scales and give a give the allies a, a similar type person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I th I found that unique, you know, because Joe Johnson really uh, did it well and uh, brought that point to the fore. Um, another thing I found interesting was that there was like several Doctor Who characters in the movie. Um, one being Jenna, Jenna Coleman, um, who would become Claire Oswald in Doctor Who. And, uh, well, it wasn't 2005, but it was like 2010, maybe 2011 that she joined the, the, mm -hmm. the class of Doctor Who aficionados. So, yeah, she played uh, Bucky's date at the mm -hmm. game when they go to the World's Fair. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, these are different things that were uh, unique to uh, the movie, and I found it, I hadn't even thought about it before, but Richard Armitage was in First Avenger, and uh, he becomes, you know, so iconic because... Uh, he was Thorin in the Hobbit movies. And uh, people should go back and watch Captain America, the first Avenger, just to find him and say, where was he at? Because yeah. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that he was actually in that movie. So. <laughs> um, and then, you know, one other thing that I have to give credit to Joe Johnston uh, is the fact that there's references to other films such as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. And he worked as art director on that film. And like the uh, Red Skull's consumption at the hands of the Tesseract is very similar to that of the Ark of the Covenant killing the Nazis. Um, Captain America throwing a Hydra bad guy into a plane propeller. Um, and after... He gets, he holds, let's see. Well, like even with that, uh, it's interesting. After he holds the cosmic cube in his hand, uh, John Schmidt, uh, who is Red Skull, makes the comment of how Adolf Hitler searches for trinkets in the desert. Yeah. 
and uh, what other trinket would there be but the Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> so I just, I like those little nods that Joe Johnston really put in there to include, to make it really a period piece, um, because that was taking place even before this movie. You know, the, the set was set um, earlier on, and I've really enjoyed that. Uh, so one other thing I'd like to really get into um, is these the Kirby moments for uh, Captain America. Like, there's some really unique things with the Captain America comic, and I was looking it up that there were some awesome moments for Jack Kirby's Captain America. Now, uh, the points that I found were there were seven different main big points that Jack Kirby had for Captain America. Okay. And that he, he brought this unmatched energy to the character that he created. And uh, the number seventh one was um, with Captain America 193, where um, he hit the ground running with uh, the intense scene of arm wrestling in comics. I found that really interesting because it's like, oh, I didn't know that was such a thing in comics. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that or? Well, Kirby, Kirby had two, he had a couple of, of stints with the character. Um, you know, obviously he helped co-create the character in the 1940s with Joe Simon. Uh, when they revived Captain America in the 1960s, they gave him a spotlight feature in Tales to Astonish, I believe, uh, where he and Iron Man shared the book. They would each have like a 10 to 12 page story. And Jack Kirby did many of those uh, stories early on. In 1970, Kirby left Marvel to go to DC for about five years. Um, when he came back to Marvel, his contract with Marvel was basically, he got to do whatever he wanted without editorial interference. Um, and they kind of asked him, well, what book would you like to work on? And he mentioned Captain America. And at that point, Captain America was a lower tier book. It wasn't selling as well. It might've been on the verge of cancellation for all we know. Marvel was struggling at that point in the, in the mid seventies. Um, so they kind of gave him the book and told him to do whatever you want. And Kurt, Kirby brought a new level of energy to that book that hadn't been seen in years. Um, there Kirby was both writing and drawing the stories and that's a lot of work. It is. Uh, the, I will say in being completely honest, I think he would have benefited by having a strong editor to help him on the book. Um, that kind of being left to kind of do his own thing. There's little holes in it. There's things that just don't quite work out that great. Mm -hmm. um, and it it would be a, a in my opinion it would be a better story if he had had a little more at least another voice to help kind of guide the story uh to where he wanted it to go uh kirby was on the book for about two years it went from like 192 to uh, around 210 in the storyline um obviously he had the big issue 200 as well as he also put out uh, that's back when they were doing the big treasury edition books, the 
oversized boats. He did a bicentennial battles, mm -hmm. uh, Captain America fighting in different eras of American history, uh, from the Revolutionary War up through World War II and such. So, um, Captain America was probably the biggest work that Kirby did on his uh, return to Marvel. Um, but his his best work came earlier at Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, one of the, the things, one of the points I found was uh, the sixth point was uh, Flavors of Madness. And uh, it was in regard to Captain America and the Falcon having turned on each other. Mm -hmm. And that was something I didn't realize that had happened back early early on in Captain America's comic book history. I, I didn't even realize that. And then also that uh, Jack Kirby basically drew giant domed techno bombs with brains inside uh, means that we uh, can really see that they kind of looked like the Doctor Who Daleks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was unique. Um, and then a couple of the other points, the Freedom Freaks, um, killed Derby, uh, which was in re regard to a deadly uh, Derby involving rocket-powered skateboards. Yes. <laughs> and uh, one of the main ones, like one of the issues that it really brought out purposely was Armin Zola. Yes. He created that character of Armin Zola that it wasn't Modoc. He actually, you know, had kind of a body and it was robotic and uh, was really unique. And the point that it makes is that there was Armin Zola actually in the movie, yes. uh, Captain America First Avenger. Played by and, Toby Jones. Yeah, yeah. And he played it really brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And then he came back uh, in Winter Soldier and he was this group of computers yes which <laughs> so. kind of matched where arnim zola as the character went mm -hmm. uh, in the comics he was this human figure that had a tv screen on his chest and that's where his face was and where his head should be was more like just kind of a like a radar antenna uh type device and um i i really liked jones's performance as zola um, in both movies, but especially here with the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really brought something to the role, and he's he's a brilliant actor. He's he's done so many different things. He's even starred on Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. um, he was on Midsummer Murders for a while, and he uh, is on this show called The Detectorist, which yeah. I highly recommend because that's a fun show. He uh, recently did one of the Sherlock episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know he's he's a well-ranged actor, and it's it's neat to see uh, how he can be used in different films. Mm -hmm. um, so so next, let's get into some of the things on the soundtrack. Um, I really found that this score uh, was right up there, like top of the line with what the Rocketeer score is, even though it's different composers, because the score for Captain America of the First Avenger is 
Alan Silvestri. Mm-hmm. And we know Alan Silvestri from the Back to the Future series. And, Among others. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But those, that, like, that series really sticks out in my mind because he's iconic for it. And, um, I mean, of course, he did Forrest Gump, and his list is pretty long. But I really found it interesting because he uh, brought out uh, the passion for occasionally using, like, the brass. And one of the things he, he had actually said, he said, there's a kind of grandeur that comes with the brass. There's also something simple, logic, logistical, and sonic for reasons. And in the film everybody is fighting for real estate sonically and you have the dialogue clear and intelligible and sound effects that have a huge presence in these action films. And so you have, have to find a sound that will live in this sonic environment, which brass often allows. And so in the middle of Captain America's motorcycle chase, when the engines are screaming and there's all kinds of this gunfire going on, the brass is something that can complete sonically and give the music some kind of presence where there might not have been any. And uh, I, I just found some of these quotes that he did on the scoring of Captain America um, was really unique because he even uh, call, got called in late in the game and he had a meeting with, with Joe Johnston, and they were seven and a half weeks out from having to score in England. And so they sat down, and they got in the car, and he was, he was set to record uh, for the score, and it just came all together. And um, just some of the influence that he had. Uh, oh, I, I really like this. Uh, one of... Alan Silvestri's influences for the Captain America uh, First Avenger score is the fanfare for The Common Man by um, Aaron Copeland. Okay. Um, Do you know what that that is? I'm familiar with Aaron Copeland. Uh, I'm probably sure that I've heard the piece, but it's not coming to me right at, at the top of my head here. Oh, it's all right. Uh, it, it has this very bombastic, uh, loud, exciting cue that uh, starts the piece, and it's like, ba-ba-bum! You know, and it's, it's very energetic. I can see how uh, Alan Silvestri was able to use that as an as a inspiration for several of the themes that he used for um, the music. Uh, I really liked this last, last little piece I'd like to bring out before we get into the actual cues here. Uh, it said, creating uh, these militaristic themes that erupt with bombast and swooping emotion has always been one of Silvestri's uh, strongest suits for a composer. And with Captain America, he had it all as an ultimate musical playground. And there were plenty of opportunities for him to employ a broad motifs of of tracks with the main title theme and uh, the We Did It track and the latter 
of uh, touch on even Basil Palladoris, who did Starship Troopers and slower cues like Schmidt's Treasure and the Vita Rays drip with mystery and even atmosphere. And there's plenty of old school action music cues that only Alan Silvestri could do, like the Kruger Chase and the Hydra Train. And uh, toward the end of the score, uh, he piles on this hard driving theme as the climactic action scenes build a furious momentum and it's where Sylvester truly shines. And even having that, that classic old school uh, star St spangled man uh, song put into the film. I thought that was really unique because Alan Menken uh, had been part of that. And I thought that was really unique. Star Spangled Man was the highlight of the movie for me. I mean, I love the 1940s uh, big band swing era of music. Uh, and that song really reminded me of uh, the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B or Company Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, um, just that the rhythms and the, and the, and this, the tempo and the, and the lyrics, it just, it felt like that song in particular. And it, for it to be totally original, yet it sound like it was 70 years old, uh, was brilliant. We heard it in the movie and then over the closing credits as well. Um, I mean, that, I, I love the soundtrack music, but that song in particular defines the, the movie soundtrack for me. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Because, I mean, it's just, it's just done really uh, well and uh, really in a in a good way um so the first cues i'd like to actually play um are the captain america we did it schmidt's treasure and then farewell to bucky and i really like how the theme to captain america is and that alan silvestri brings out this heroic militaristic theme that gives us the glory of captain america as an iconic character uh what do you think of these cues jerry you ask me this question every time and I'm always, I always struggle to come up with a good answer here. Just when I'm watching the movie, I mean, I don't always know the transition between one piece to the next. And so to me, I, I just kind of view it as one long string of music and the music, the music is there, but, it doesn't overpower the movie, which is what it should do. It should just kind of help keep the feelings going in whatever direction the story and the movie is going. And um, I mean, across the board, this, this movie, the soundtrack really supports the movie and keeps things moving. Um, you know, I'm looking at the list here and, you know, I can looking at the, at the titles of the tracks, I can kind of tell you when they, when they appear in the movie, but I don't necessarily know that I've got a good answer as to what that might have evoked at a certain point in the movie. If that yeah. Oh, that's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, you know, you, you think of the, uh, the emotional scene uh, for farewell to Bucky. Yes. You know, you, you think of, of the sheer fright and danger that they were in on that train and, and uh, just seeing, um, Bucky fall 
And the music really helps with like tearing at your heart. You know, you're like, oh, his best friend, he's dying. He's going down into this hole. And, uh, you know, it's, it's this, you know, unique uh, way of bringing out the, the music, but it also like generates a feeling in the film and uh, it really brings things to the fore. So with that in mind, let's play those cues.
So next we have the unauthorized night flight, uh, troop liberation, factory inferno, and triumphant return. Now these tracks really show uh, the intense action of Captain America and how Captain America went by himself pretty much into enemy territory, rescued the people that were behind enemy lines, and triumphantly brought them back. And uh, what do you think of those scenes in the movie? Well, you know, just to kind of set the stage for where Captain America was at that point. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he was doing everything he could to enlist, but his body, his health wouldn't allow him to be a soldier. And he goes through the experiment, becomes Captain America, and then he basically becomes the show monkey for the government, going around, uh, helping to raise money through USO shows, uh, selling war bonds at the, at the different performances, going overseas only to entertain the troops. And he gets mocked at by the other troops there. They throw tomatoes at him and all of that. And it's, it's eating at him because he wants to do more for, for his country. He wants to do more. These soldiers are his brothers, his friends, and he wants to, he wants to be part of the action. And when he finds out that his best friend's unit has gone missing behind enemy lines, he takes it upon himself to finally do something. Uh, he gets help from Agent Carter and from Howard Stark, and he literally drops into the middle of the enemy enemy holdings and single-handedly rescues this company. And it that defines who Captain America is. He's willing to do the assignments that no one else is volunteering for. He's willing to dive right into the middle of the of the troops and fight his way out. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, it just really gives us this excitement uh, for his character and that he's willing to go that extra distance. Uh, so now, um, let's play those cues.
So lastly, we've come down to another end of an episode of Soundtrack Alley. It's uh, been a real pleasure having you on the show, Jerry. And Thank you. I'm sure you'll be able to come back soon and uh, share in another episode. Um, talking about uh, the Kirby 100s or even Jack Kirby in general and his ideas and the way he's got uh, characters and upbuilts and uh, even looking at his artwork is really, really unique. He had a really unique style uh, while he was alive. And um, I hope that we get to see some of that at, uh, I, I don't, I can't remember if uh, Tim Benson had mentioned that there was going to be a gallery of the Kirby 100s at uh, the hot spot in Omaha. I'm not sure, um, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and so these last cues really highlight uh, the final part of the action that we see in the film, uh, such as invasion, fight on the flight deck, um, this is my choice, and lastly, the Captain America march. Now, one of the things that I really wanted to touch on before ending is the fact that uh, so many people feel that the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't have themes to their movies. And I really want to go through like each Marvel movie and prove them wrong because I feel that each Marvel movie actually has a theme to it. And that's the highlight of it because each Marvel comic is a, usually a different character or a different story. And you're looking at... Uh, all of these different characters and you some people may feel oh why don't they have a similar theme for each each movie you know like tying them all together since this is the marvel cinematic universe but when you look at it more it's more like that each movie has its individual theme and that's what carries the marvel cinematic universe through mm -hmm. so so that's one really unique thing I like to bring out is that even through some of these action cues, you get that main Captain America theme that uh, resides in the film. Um, and so, if, if I recall correctly, the Captain America March was also used in the Avengers movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Silvestri did that, did that score as well. And he's doing the Avengers Affinity War score. So I would expect the, the Captain America March to go over to carry over to that film as well. Yeah. And that'll be really exciting to see that. And even also having that uh, Avengers theme that Silvestri had invented. And uh, I'm sure that he'll bring that right back into it and give us that, that excitement that we see. Um, so another person I'd like to thank uh, today is Jillian Orwall for her great intro on my show. And I'd like to thank you, Jerry, for being on the show. Um, Always thank you for the invite. I'm glad to, to come on and especially in this instance, talk about Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. And so we can look forward to this month's podcast um, as I'm helping with uh, Omaha Bound and supporting uh, Phil Hester's fundraiser for uh, the Hero Initiative, and everyone really should check that out. Uh, that they, you know, it's really 
promotion calls and uh just if people have more questions or want to get more information about the hero initiative i would invite you to go to heroinitiative.org uh there on the website you'll get all kinds of information about the organization who it helps how it helps you can see where the hero initiative is going to be at there is a link to the Hero Initiative eBay page where there is a lot of original art that gets auctioned off uh, to benefit Hero Initiative. There is also a PayPal link. If you want to make a direct donation to the Hero Initiative, they would uh, be glad to take that, as well as look for Hero Initiative at uh, cons around the country. Ah, yeah, that's that's a really good uh, way to bring that out. I, I couldn't put the words into my mouth uh, nearly as well as you did. <laughs> so uh, next week, uh, we can look forward to talking, I mean, I'll be talking about Argo, uh, the movie that uh, Ben Affleck had directed, uh, but it is a really fantastic look into the true events of a group of people that were stuck in Iran uh, back in the 70s during this major crisis. And, but also it, it'll be unique to talk about some of the storyboards that Jack Kirby had done for the movie that's, you know, for this event mm -hmm. and uh, that it was a whole government funded uh, fake movie that they invented. So I'll be talking about that more next week. Uh, so so now we'll be listening to the cues of invasion, flight, or fight on the flight deck. Uh, this is my choice and the Captain America March. So happy listening.
you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.